I wish every one of you would bring your Bibles to church on Sunday morning. But what's happened is there's so many translations of the scripture that we'd all be reading out of different, different uh, modern English, King James, these and thous, this and that. And so that's why I usually put the scriptures in the bulletin so that uh, we're all reading off of the same translation. And I use every week the New International Version uh, translation. The one good thing about having your Bible is you can put some notes inside of it as you're, as you're going along. So that might not be a bad idea for the future as well. But let's jump right in. And so if you have your Bible or if you have your study notes, you can open it up. And I put the scripture text there. And we're looking at Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. Now, listen, this is a critical day in the life of Jesus because he's going to surround himself with a group of people that are going to eventually become what are called his disciples. They're his followers. And you'll notice that when Jesus starts to build his followership, it's kind of inner circle, the core inner circle. He doesn't post a wanted sign, any and all. In essence, what he decides he's going to do is he's going to put some tests to some people to see if they pass the followership test and whether or not they have what it takes to be in his inner circle. Now, one of the interesting things to me is that the longer Jesus is preaching in this text, the bigger the crowd gets down by the Sea of Galilee. I have never had that problem. (laughs) The longer I talk, the more it seems to thin out. In fact, uh, I think a lot of our people have what I would call ball-bearing knees because sometimes when we go a little overtime here, you see people kind of going like this. (laughs) And uh, at first, I try to justify it. They're just going to the bathroom. But then I realize there's no bathroom in this building that will hold that many people. And so, uh, but as Jesus talks longer, the crowd gets bigger. I was interested to see, though, that when the kings went into overtime, nobody left. But... uh, but, you know, uh, Jesus, is, he's getting pressed in by the people. He says, you know, I need to get a boat and get off this beach because people are just kind of pushing me out of the water. I need to, to t- get out in a boat. Now, I suppose Jesus could have rowed out himself, but he doesn't do that. He asks Simon, will you row me out a little ways? And I think this is a test. I think he's trying to see the kind of stuff that Peter's made of. And I want to call this first test the bias for action test. Jesus isn't testing Peter's theology. He's not testing his intelligence or his character. 
What he's doing is he's testing his willingness to jump into a situation and to help solve a problem. It's his, and I Googled this word, well, I spelled it and it came up misspelled and I couldn't find the right one. He was checking his action-orientedness. You know, if Jesus puts this little test before Peter, it goes kind of like this. Hey, you know what? I've got a problem. And Peter might say, (laughs) solve your own problem. End your sermon early. (laughs) Send the crowd home. I don't want to get involved. But Jesus gives him this little test, and Scripture says that immediately Peter rises to the occasion energetically, and he rows Jesus out, and he passes this first test. And I think there's an application there for all followers of Christ. Anybody who wants to be a leader and is trying to build in the church of Christ. And I don't care if you're a children's leader or a small group leader or a worship leader or a hospitality leader or a setup leader. You're going to have to build a team if you're a leader. And, uh, and so you have to decide, uh, are these people action-oriented? Or are they laid back and not going to make it happen type of people? The people who say, no problem, not my problem, no big deal, no bias for action. In the early days of this church, in fact, uh, you could talk to some of the original core group about this. I know when there was a work-related problem, they were solution-oriented. They said, let's get after it. We can solve this. Uh, One of the changes had to do, we used to brew coffee here every Sunday, and we ended up bringing the coffee. (laughs) It saved a lot. That was an action-oriented Thing, but, um, but there's a downside to action-orientedness. Remember Peter when he gets in the Garden of Gethsemane and they come to arrest Jesus and he whips out his sword and he lops off the guy's ear? You remember Jesus put it back up and said, testing. Um, but, uh, but sometimes action-oriented people are impulsive. And, uh, and sometimes you have a little bit of that with action-oriented people. And I think that it's interesting here that Jesus says, I'll take a little hyperactivity once in a while... I'll trade that for someone who's action-oriented. And we'll come back to this in just a little while. But let's go to the second test. Because right after this first little test with Peter, he commands Peter to row out without him in the boat. He says, now go out in broad daylight and try to catch some fish. And I'm going to call this the will you follow my directions test. Uh, Do you know what's true about a lot of high-energy people, people who have a bias for action? They create a lot of action, but they don't like to follow orders. They don't want to follow God's orders. They don't want to follow a God-oriented team's orders. They won't follow anybody's orders. They're activity-minded, but they're not very good at submitting themselves. It's not about team. It's about me. It's, uh, It's about not being able to get under orders. Peter has fished all night. You just read that from the story. And they hadn't caught anything. And now here's Jesus, a teacher. He's not a fisherman by profession. And he says, now, Peter, I want you to get in the boat and go out and drop your nets. And that would be unthinkable for a professional fisherman. Peter could have come up, I would imagine, with all kinds of excuses. I worked all night and I'm tired. I know a lot more about fishing than some carpenter. The best fishing is at night and it's not during the day. All these crowds have probably scared the fish away. We've already washed our nets. Jesus knows a lot about the Torah, but he doesn't know very much about fishing. But I love Peter's response in verse 5. It's so honest. He says, Master, we've worked all hard all night. We haven't caught a thing. And I hope you realize the power of these next words. But because you say so, I will. 
And if you've never underlined anything in your Bible, I think you ought to underline that phrase. But because you say so, I will. I love that. You know, my daughters are very action-oriented girls. I used to take them with me when they were younger. I was a state director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Michigan, and, and I would take them. I'd speak at camps and conferences and coaches' clinics and college huddle groups. And, and then when they were in 13 years old, I took them down to Ecuador for 10 days with me on a mission trip. And then when they were in, started high school, I started taking them with me to the Global Leadership Conference every year. And I've taken them with me to a conference I go to in November called the Organic Outreach Conference. And then this past January, my daughter Betsy calls me from college and says, hey, Dad, there's this mission conference. You want to go with me? And uh, she invited me to go with her on one. And I could go on and on. And um, then she said, Dad, the answer is yes. It will always be yes. She says, I'm telling you advance, whenever you want me to join you anywhere, the answer is yes. And, you know, I think that's pretty close to the example of Simon Peter. He's struggling a little bit, but in the final analysis, he says, because you say so, I will. The answer is yes. And friends, I think this is a powerful witness. I think this is a powerful statement for any Christ follower. If Peter hadn't passed his test, I don't know if we'd know his name today. He's one of the foundation stones of the church, and I I think a lot of it had to do with this second test. Now, let me just get practical about this real quick. I think this summer, if you've been coming this summer, I have been preaching uh, probably on a little higher challenge level. I've challenged you to live beyond yourself. I've asked you to become a servant of Jesus Christ, not only here in this church, but in your home, in your neighborhoods, and at your job site. And you know, it's been really encouraging because many of you have agreed to serve quarterly here on Sunday mornings. We've had more response to people serving them than, than we've ever had. Several of you have said, I need to get back to serving. I, I'm recommitting myself. And it's a powerful thing when a Christ follower says, it might be hard, but because you say so, I will. The promise that Jesus gave to those who say, I will serve, is you'll be blessed. I mean, go back to the Sermon on the Mount. There's another thing that I've challenged you about this summer, earlier this summer, and that was honoring God with your material resources and, and with your money. And I think there's nothing that is more sensitive to talk about in this culture than money. And I said to you several weeks ago, will you manage your money God's ways, God's way? And I know for a lot of you it caused you to wrestle. A number of you said, this is hard, this is really hard. I wasn't brought up that way. I get selfish, I get materialistic, I get greedy and, and all that. But because you say so, Jesus Christ, because you say so, I will. And I just want to say, having met with our elders the other day, and Gary, uh, head of our operations team, has just said that the faithfulness of God's people in our congregation has been incredible this summer. Because you say so, I will. I don't think he knew what the future would be. He didn't know what he was going to unfold in the future. But oh man, his whole life opened up because he passed that test. And here's my challenge to you. And I say this without hesitation or any apology. Everything God asks you to do, every prompting you get from his spirit, just say yes. 
It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to say, God, I've been up all night. This isn't easy. You've got to understand this isn't easy. But then at the end of the day, after you've had your wrestling match, after, you've got to surrender and you've just got to say, because you say so, Jesus Christ, I will. You'll never regret saying I will to the God who says, will you follow my directions? All right, then the third test comes, and this is an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, but why did Jesus arrange for such a great catch of fish? I mean, this was a huge haul. Was it about money? I mean, did Jesus feel bad that they hadn't caught anything, so they needed to sell some fish in the marketplace? Or maybe he thought, uh, this will cover the rent of the boat while I was preaching. Uh, I, I'm, I, I think it's for the next test. And that's what I call the who deserves the credit test. I, I think some of the crowd was probably still gathered after Peter went out and dropped his nets and he gets this huge catch. And James and John have come out and they try to help him and they bring in this enormous catch. And do you think there might have been some temptation on those guys' part to somehow go, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Take a few bows. Photo ops over here. I'll sign autographs later. Hey, did you see what we did out there? Broad daylight, man. No fisherman's ever done what we just did. But I think it was a test. Who deserves the credit for this? And when Peter comes on shore, notice what the first thing he does. He falls on his knees in verse 8, and he says something that has profound theological meaning that I could unpack all morning long, but I'm not going to. He says, go away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. I mean, what a strange response, isn't it? I think what he's really saying, if you study this, I think that kind of the code underneath these words, in my view, what Peter is saying is, you are so over me. You are so different from me. You have so much more power, so much more authority. You are the sovereign one, and I know who I am. I'm a sinful man, and you are so different from me. You should have nothing to do with me, given who you are and given who I am. And I think this was a test, friends. Peter's on his knees and he says, God, Jesus, you get credit for everything that just happened out there. And I'll tell you, this is a test that I think we get put through all the time in our church, in the family. Whenever we're doing something good and it comes our way, isn't it just human nature to want to figure out a way to claim the credit for it? You know, you're in a team setting and the team comes up with a good idea and it works. And later on you go, that was my idea. Or you do a business deal and it works out really well and you go, man, I am so smart. I created my own destiny. I am so good. Hey, it's okay to be self-confident. But there's a whole lot more of God involved in almost everything that's going on in our lives than we probably realize. And we're put to that test all the time. How quick are we to credit God with, by saying, boy, his wisdom came my way. His power came my way. His leading brought that idea into my mind. His strength helped me to bear up under that situation. And that's a big test. And Peter passed it with flying colors. You know, one of the things that I love as we gather for worship here is it's just an opportunity for us to give credit to God. And I was thinking so strongly about this past week. Mark and I were talking about the song that we just sang, You Are Awesome in This Place, Mighty God. I, I asked him if, he, if those guys could learn it and, and sing it for us. Because I thought... It's really good for me on a weekly basis, every seven days, to just say, you deserve the credit, God. Another week of life has come my way. I'm still alive. I'm blessed with my family. I didn't miss a meal this week. I slept comfortably last night. I think we ought to gather, if for no other reason, 
than just to give God credit for another week. And I think that's still the test. It's the willingness to give God the credit for the things in our life. This next test, and by the way, I'm most partial to this one. You know, once the buzz of the great catch has taken place and and you think that everyone maybe would just go home and the event would be over, but Jesus poses yet another test, and it's the grander vision test. And I think his timing is perfect on it. I imagine this is how it unfolded. Jesus says to Peter and John, wasn't that cool to gather all those fish and to do it as a team? We did it together. You got them on shore. Wasn't that great? And then I just want you guys to think for a minute. There could be something grander than this. You got a kick out of netting a bunch of underwater creatures. Think about what a catch would be to redirect the lives and eternities of hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, wouldn't that be more fun? Nothing against fishing, but you understand, compare the stakes. You bring fish in and you take them to the market and you get some dollars. Nothing against dollars, but just take a moment and compare the value of a dollar to the value of someone's destiny. I mean, think about that. You can continue to just catch fish for dollars or you can accept the invitation to go after people's destinies. Do you want to catch fish or do you want to catch people? I think it's very important that we understand that there is no shaming going on here. The test is not if you're a bad person, you'll keep doing this, and if you're a better person, you'll do that. It wasn't about that. This is a vision test. In other words, he's saying, do you see it as I'm describing it? Do you get it as I'm explaining it? Do you understand the value of destiny versus the value of a dollar? Do you want to orient your life around destinies or or dollars? And it's not that it's any more noble necessarily, it's just smarter. Now listen, when I talk about this, I know that the nervous energy factor in the room goes up because 95% of you, probably higher, derive your income from the marketplace. You've been called there. You have a job. Your job matters. Your job has dignity. Your job has value. You were prepared for it in most cases. In many of your cases, it's your calling. It's what you're supposed to do with those 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day that you devote yourself to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And anyone who tries to tell you that there is, they're wrong. There's nothing more holy about me being a vocational minister than there is in you fulfilling the calling that God has placed on you in the marketplace. So let's be clear on that. But let's be clear about something else. If the affection of your heart is more around dollars than destinies, if at the core of who you are, you really care about little fish more than you do about big fish, which are human beings, then you have a screw loose. Something is wrong. You don't see it. You don't get it. I think God puts the grander vision test in front of us virtually every day. And the subtle temptation is in your job that you get completely engrossed in succeeding in it so that you use people. You don't really love the people you work with. You're not looking for a bigger redemptive picture during the day. You're looking at little fish and you're just looking at the dollars that go along with them. It's very possible that you could come to church and say, I love your church, oh God, and do all that. But the problem is you don't get it. You don't understand that there's a grander vision. And who's missing out? You're missing out. 
All your life is going to be about fish and dollars. And Jesus is inviting you to a grander vision. He says, I invite you to people catching and destiny alternation, alteration. And so here's what you do. You go to the workplace and you say, this is the environment which I carry out the grander vision. This is my area of influence. This is where I go after big fish and destinies. And so this isn't necessarily about changing vocations. This is just a test. It's just about getting it and seeing it and being seized by it. So that during the day you say, listen, I've got to pay my rent. I've got to provide for my family. I've got to honor God by doing well in the marketplace. But the affection of my heart is on a grander vision. And I pray about the grander vision. And I make hard choices in the marketplace because of the grander vision. And then if God gives you the grace to make some dollars, you see how many you can convert into activities that will change people's lives. One guy described it this way in a book that I read entitled Descending into Greatness by Bill Hybels who, by the way, is one of the speakers at the, the Leadership Summit. This guy said, I shovel money. I'm, in, finan- I'm in, in financial investments. He said, for the first half of my life, I just shoveled money into my own wheelbarrow. Just shoveled all the time. And then I met Christ. And it just completely changed my life, my whole value system. But God called me to keep shoveling. And now I just shoveled into another wheelbarrow. I just shoveled into kingdom activities that change people's destinies I'm a shoveler. And I thought, this guy gets the grander vision. And every day he goes to work, it's about people and it's about destinies, even though he's shoveling. And so anyway, that's a test that I think just keeps getting put in front of us every day. You can pass that test. You don't have to be smarter or thinner or more talented than you are right now. You just have to get it and see it and go after it. All right, one last test. And this is the leave it behind test. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Now, again, please listen. Don't tune out yet. Sometimes, not often, not regularly, and surely this is not for everyone in this room. But it may be for someone who's in this room. And so I hope that someone is listening. Sometimes God taps individuals on the shoulder and he says, I want you to change vocations and I want you to do something else. I want you to leave everything you know, everything that you've been trained to do. I want you to leave it all and I want my hand on your life and I want you to follow me and leave behind your current vocation. Or as it's described here, they left everything. Now that's a test. And again, it's not a test for everyone. It's only a test for those whom the Holy Spirit has been whispering to and nudging and calling. And if that's you and you don't follow it, you don't, have to, you don't have to pass the test. You can say, that's not something I'm willing to do. But I'll tell you who loses in the final analysis. You do. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that is always what God does when he's trying to lead you from one stage to the next stage. It's some good plan, and it's going to honor him, and it's going to do something for his kingdom. And I believe there might be certain people here, I wouldn't suggest the number, or I wouldn't suggest who it may be, but there may be somebody who's here who came in and they say, God has come knocking at my door. 
And he says, I'm asking you to leave it behind. Now, this is an important test. Usually he, he has prompted you about something that you're good at or that others have affirmed or a skill that you have. But he says, now this is a test of faith. Come and follow me and leave everything behind. Now, in the three years that I've been the pastor here, I've never talked about this particular challenge to a congregation, to, to this congregation. But I have felt called to do it today. And I, I'll tell you why in a minute. There are so many of you in this church who love God so much, and you know what your spiritual gifts are, and you know what your talents are, and you know that God has come to your door before, and he said there is something more directly related to vocational kingdom work that you could be doing. You may earn a lot less than you're earning now. You might have to downsize your house. You might have to give up a whole bunch of material dreams. I'm flying this week back to Wheaton, Illinois. For 11 years, I pastored a church there. And then for the past 11 years, they had the second pastor, and he just retired. And the new pastor is moving in this week. And so I'm going to go and be with him. And I want to, he's a young guy, 31 years old. I want to bless him. I mean, we started that church with eight couples, and it went to 1,200. And uh, I just want to, you know, uh, bless him. But then uh, I'm going to have breakfast on Friday morning with the guy who, when he was a college student at Wheaton, a marketing major, he was our part-time junior high director. And uh, so he said to me, by the way, this has happened just to a small percentage of people who I've pastored over the years and to numerous people who I've talked to in various churches around the United States. He said, you know, Bill, God came to my door and he said, i I've got to leave it behind and I've got to trust him and I've got to go and step into this new life that he had and I put my hand in his hand and he became a missionary in Kazakhstan. And he was there for several years and now I think uh, even this is over 12 years ago uh, he is now the, like the regional director living in Thailand overseeing about 36 missionaries in that part of the world. And he's just home for a a two-month furlough. Now, here again, hear me clearly. There is nothing fundamentally better about what Dan is doing. There is nothing inherently nobler about that. It's just that it was the test that God was putting him through, and he passed the test. And I would urge you, if that's the test that God is calling for you, that you pass that test. I urge you to step out in faith and open the door and see what he has for you and move ahead. Now, I want to remind you of something as we close. Some of you might be thinking, Bill, you don't understand what I would have to leave behind. You're kind of naive, and you just don't understand what that would mean. And I know you're right. I don't understand that. But I do know this. My limited understanding of Scripture and the teachings that Jesus left behind an incredible amount when he came to redeem you and me. And I strongly suggest if God is asking you to leave something to go into a new venture of some sort, that it's really stretching your faith, I just want to encourage you to go for it. Look at what God did through Peter and James and John because they left their nets. They started churches that 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 started this church. And we're meeting here because they were willing to pass the test. And there is always this kind of multiplication whenever there's obedience happening and when people are willing to pass those kinds of tests. 
And if God is speaking to some of you today, while I'm talking to you right now, I just pray that you will be stricken with insomnia tonight. I wish the worst upon you. I pray that you'll wrestle and be all upset and have a rotten day tomorrow until, until you pass the test. And when you do, I hope you will feel the freedom of saying, this is exactly where I need to be. Well, there you go. There are the tests as I see them. And we're the ones that still get tested every day as followers with Jesus Christ. And that's about all I have to say on this. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for passages that stretch our faith. For tests that we can pass, and we can pass every one of these with the help of your Holy Spirit. And there is blessing on the other side of every test. Blessing and favor and increased joy. And God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the faith to keep passing the tests as you lay them before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name because we believe these are things that he would pray. And so it's in his name. Amen.